Genesis 1, 1 to 2, and then 26 to 31. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Brilliant. Rachel, thanks so much for reading the passage for us. Uh, the question I want to start with this lunchtime uh, is this. Uh, what were you made for? I wonder what you guys spoke about uh, during your discussion groups. And um, I want to suggest that perhaps all of us, we do struggle with the sense of perhaps aimlessness, if you might call it, or purposelessness throughout different phases of our lives. Uh, just a couple of days ago, I was on a phone call with my wife's boss's uh, daughter, and uh, she was asking me some advice about applying to a bank finish, which I used to work for. Um, and I asked her what other roles that she applied for, and she said she applied to a consulting role, to a marketing role, and also to a branding role. And I asked her what she was studying, and she said Japanese and Korean studies. Uh, you know how it is when you are fresh out of uni, um, you don't really have much direction in life. But perhaps also in, in the middle of your life, uh, you perhaps during lockdown, you might have sort of reflected on what you've achieved in the past sort of 10, 15 years of your life. And then you look forward um, and just think about counting the years down uh, when the clock winds down, um, how much left you have to achieve what you want. Uh, perhaps you might have made it to the top and you just look back and think about all that you achieved and you might wonder, well, what was all that? for uh, so let me ask well what were you made for see this question is is perhaps one of the more significant questions that you can ask and think of because it affects purpose your your meaning uh, your significance and how you live day to day and it's useful just to take a step back and to, to think about the question um, so the plan for today, uh, we're going through Genesis 1. Uh, last week, we, we saw, if you were here with us for the overview talk, uh, we saw that the main 
thrust of Genesis is that we are cast out. We have been cast out of God's presence. And this week, we, we go back to the beginning. Uh, we, we look like what it was before. Uh, before we look into the passage, uh, just a really quick disclaimer. Uh, I want to say that Genesis 1 is a really difficult passage. And some of you guys, you guys may know there's a whole range of different understandings of Genesis. And my goal in the next like, 15 to 20 minutes is to try to help us best understand what it's trying to say. Uh, so do try to put your thinking caps on. Uh, but there's also a Q&A after for you to come back at me to ask any questions or clarifications. Okay, so we are going back to the beginning. And in the, when we go back, uh, we see that on the first point for today, that God, uh, he creates. God creates. Uh, look down to verse one again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, the first thing to note is really straightforward. Uh, God, he creates. Uh, he creates something from nothing. Uh, the, the idea of being in the beginning that suggests that God was before time and he's the one who created everything. In the language of heavens and earth, I want to suggest that's a summary for, for everything. And so that's the picture in verse 1. God, he creates something or everything from nothing. But if you read a bit closer, you realize that the emphasis is not primarily about God creating something from nothing. Uh, but it's something slightly different. I look at verse 2 in the way that the earth is described in its initial stage. I look to verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, do you notice the three adjectives that the author of Genesis uses to describe uh, the world in the initial stage? Uh, firstly, it's, it's formless or without form, if you like, shapeless and disorganized. Uh, secondly, it's, it's void or, or empty or barren. And thirdly, there was darkness over the face of the deep. Uh, the deep there, that's the, the, the watery deep. Um, if you like, it's, it's a picture in the Bible. The, the waters is always a picture of chaos. Think about the flood or the Red Sea. Uh, the picture of the deep there is a picture of, of chaos and the deep. Uh, so that's the initial stage of the earth described by the author in Genesis. Uh, firstly, it's, it's formless, it's empty, it's void, and it's full of chaos. Uh, it's a chaotic, dark, empty mess. And the next few verses, we see that the movement is from chaos, uh, from chaos to order. Uh, we don't have time to look through all the verses in the passage today, but I've tried to summarize really quickly in this really uh, short table to see the, the flow of how the next few verses go about. And days one to three, God is moving from formlessness uh, to a structured form. So day one, he creates day and night, uh, creating time, time spaces. Day two, he creates heavens, which is also the sky and the sea. Day three, he creates the land and the vegetation. So from formlessness, he creates structures into the world. But interestingly, in days four to six, um, the, these empty structures, these empty spaces, uh, they are filled. So day four, uh, you have the sun and moon filling the day and the night. Day five, you have the birds and the fish, and they fill the sky and the sea. And day six, animals and humans filling the land. 
And so the, the movement in, in Genesis is one from chaos and emptiness and, and disorder to one that's ordered and filled. And it's really interesting that you know, the author of Genesis describes it in, in six days. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the, the debate on whether it's a literal 24 hours or not. Um, I put a couple of useful articles that you can uh, think about and read through in the handout. Or you could ask me later on my view. But I think the point of using six days is to, to make the point that when God created the world, it was a step-by-step process. Uh, it was an orderly process. It shows what he cares about in creation. Order from chaos, something from nothing. And the last thing to, to note as well is that he, he speaks. Now, ten times in, in our passage, he speaks. And God said, comes up ten times. Uh, perhaps your, your words um, back when you were in office had, had power to, to move the intern from his desk to the photocopier. Uh, but God's words um, has the power to, to move the earth around the sun. And so there's the picture of um, how the world came to be. Something from nothing, order from chaos, and God's speech is his creative force. And think about what this means for the, the ancient Israelite, the, the original reader of this, this ancient book. Um, the, 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 the neighboring countries uh, who worship pagan gods, say the Babylonian gods, um, who created the, the myths that they told themselves in, in Babylon, was that the world was created because of chaos. Um, according to the Babylonian myths, uh, this world was created of a, from a dead body of a god. Uh, the world created from chaos. But you see, the story that Genesis shows is completely different. It's much, God is much bigger than what was around them. Uh, God is creating order out of chaos. And I guess for us as well, like you think about the ways, the different ways um, people around uh, think about who God is. Uh, some would say that God is, is they are spiritual, they believe in a higher power or, or force, or they might have a view of God being an old man, uh, perhaps with a beard, uh, sitting on the sofa with a bag of crisp, or perhaps Morgan Freeman from Bruce Almighty. But you see, the picture that Genesis 1 gives us is a God that is much bigger. Uh, he speaks and things happen, and he creates order from chaos. But what for? I mean, why, why was the creation, uh, why was the earth made? And remember, our question that we've been thinking this lunchtime is, what were we made for? And very surprisingly, uh, we come to point two, and we recognize that this world, or God created for humanity to be his image. And that's our second point, for humanity to be his image. Now, when you see that God, he creates for humanity, so notice the word for, uh, in the passage, God describes his creation as, as a good. Uh, but there's one day that the creation is not described as, as good. And that's day two, uh, when God creates the sky and the sea. And it's a really curious thing. He described other days as good, but not when he creates sky, the sky and sea. And my suggestion is that because the sky and sea is inhabitable to human beings, hence it's not described as good. Whereas the day and night, the land animals, the vegetation are all described as good. But look also to verse 28, uh, if you have your Bibles with you. 
Look at how it's being described. And God blessed them, that's humans, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the all the earth, every tree and seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. See, God, he creates all these structures and, and all he fills the, the structures and he gives that for men and women to have dominion over his creation. But he also provides for them uh, vegetation to sustain them. So humanity is not only the pinnacle of creation, well, they are, but creation is also created for, for humanity, for humans. Uh, you might have seen the BBC article it came up a couple of days ago and it was titled, Is There Life Floating in the Clouds of Venus? You might have come across that as you're reading the news. And what the, the, the scientist has found is that there is phosphine gas um, being identified in the clouds in Venus. And phosphine gas is usually associated with, with life. Uh, but is there life on Venus? Well, maybe. I mean, who knows? I, I don't know. But you see, Genesis is not really concerned whether Venus has life or not. But what is clear, what is really clear, is that Venus is not designed for humans to flourish. The article goes on to say as well that 96% of its atmosphere, its carbon dioxide, and the surface temperature of Venus, well, it's 400 degrees Celsius. So there might be life in Venus, uh, but if you are to you were to pay me to take a holiday to Venus, um, I would say, well, no thanks. See, the point that the author of Genesis is trying to make is that this, this earth that God created, it's created for humans to flourish. But ultimately, more than just flourishing, uh, the passage goes further than, than that. I look to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the Im image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. What were we made for? Well, the author in Genesis wants to tell you that we were made for to image God. We were made to be God's image. But then you might ask, what does that mean? And what does it mean to be God's image? Well, firstly, it, it obviously means that humans are, are unique. Only human beings are called the image of God. Uh, so yes, unique. I think there's more as well that the passage is, is trying to help us to see. Uh, we, we aren't only a unique representation of God, but we also represent God in a functional, uh, in a functional way. Now look at verse 28 again. But God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Think about the previous passage and what we saw previously. Um, God was 
on days four to six, he was filling the empty spaces. But what does God want humans to do now? He wants us to be like him, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth with more images of him. On days one to three, God was bringing structure into formlessness, uh, bringing order into chaos. And likewise, he wants us to subdue and have dominion over the earth. You see, the, the, the language of image of God, it's more than just being unique. Uh, it's that we are represent him in a functional sort of way. We are meant to do what God was doing. It's often the picture that when God finished creating the world, it, uh, the, people have an idea that there was nothing left to do in this world. But the picture that Genesis 1 is giving us is that it was set up for humans to continue his work, uh, to continue his work of filling the world, continue his work of subduing it, uh, to bring order from chaos. See, the earth in Genesis 1 was a place of potential in partnership with God to fill the earth in partnership with him, with images representing God. Uh, I like to think there are two types of bosses which you can come across. Um, The first one is uh, the boss, which is a taker, and the second, which is a giver. Uh, I personally had two experiences of being under those two types of bosses. And you know the taker kind of boss, right? The the taker, he's trying to squeeze out every second of your your working week from you. Um, He's there to... Uh, pay you as low as possible and to maximize your utility to, to benefit him. Uh, that's the taker boss. But you have the boss who the bosses who are a giver. Um, he, he wants you to develop, uh, to grow, to develop your potential. He gives you challenging tasks, but he, he helps you in it. He provides for you the necessary resource to develop. So I, I think uh, it's a quite a common view to view God as, as a taker. Uh, he creates the world for his um, for human beings to be his own playthings. Uh, but that's, that's not the picture in Genesis 1. Uh, the picture is that God is the giver. He creates this amazing world for humans to flourish, to develop his, their potential, to expand his image across the world. So what were you made for? Well, you were made to image God. I mean, if... Just, just, just stop to think about that. It's a really amazing purpose that Genesis 1 uh, sets out for us. Imagine the first day, um, say if you, you are starting a new role or you find you start a new job and the first day you, you go to your, your line manager and you ask him, what is, what is your job? What is my job? And he says, your job is to represent God. I mean, what honor? I mean, what... Um, high calling um, that Genesis 1 sets out for humans, um, representing God, be his image, revealing his glory across the world in partnership with him. See, Genesis 1 says that we were made uh, to image God. And to some extent, that does explain our human experience. Uh, think about the, the kind of satisfaction you find when you do a good job or you, you develop your potential and you explore and you, you do really well in your work. You feel really good. And that kind of explains there's something in building us to develop and to grow. And we feel really lousy about ourselves, I think, you know, when we, we feel that we are not developing or we are not maximizing our potential. Why? Because there's something in building us that we are meant to be God's image to be filling and subduing the world. To some extent, Genesis 1 explains um, the, the human experience. 
But at the same time, um, I think it it doesn't really explain it completely. See, the, the current experience that we have in this world, well, it doesn't match up to the height of our calling in Genesis 1. You see, much of the chaos in this world um, are caused by, by humans. Uh, historically, think about the wars that have been fought by humans creating chaos in this world. Uh, think about uh, climate change. Uh, Greta would approve uh, the, the kind of damage we, we do on this earth as we, we try to develop. I think about the gains in development in capitalism over the years, but the immense exploitation of other people as well. Or just think about in your, your office. Um, seldom what I, I, I think is, it's not so much that the work is hard that makes um, your jobs hard. It's the people that, that makes work really difficult. But most devastatingly, um, I think this this exposes an issue that we were meant to be in, in partnership with God. See, we're not only meant to do what he was doing, but we were meant to do it in, in partnership with him. And you get a hint of that in the, the start of verse chapter 2, where God works and then he, he rests. And because humans were made in his image, we were meant to work, but also join him in his rest. There was meant to be a relationship between humans and God. Uh, we're thinking a bit more about the relationship next week in Genesis 2. But here's the thought. Uh, we are most human when we are in partnership with him. And we are most like animals when we ignore him. So what were we made for? Well, Genesis 1 goes on to say that we were made to image God. Uh, what does it mean for you as you head back to work? What does it mean to, to be fruitful and multiply? What does it mean today uh, to image God? And I think because of the fall, and we will get to that in chapter 3, uh, something has, has changed. See, the New Testament authors, they, they recognize that something has changed. That this idea of being fruitful and multiply no longer applies to uh, physical multiplication, but, but spiritual multiplication. Let me pull up a couple of verses for you to, to see. Um, which is also there in your handout. In Colossians chapter 1, um, Paul writes to the Colossian church and he speaks to them. He says um, that they have heard the gospel, which has come to you in verse 6, as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, or if you like, multiplying, as it also does among you since the day you've heard it. Um, Acts chapter 6, verse 7, he speaks about how the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied. And so the, the shift in focus in the New Testament is no longer is being fruitful and multiply, referring to physical offspring, but rather spiritual offspring. Um, a book here which I found really helpful is thinking through this is by G.K. Beale. Uh, the title is God Dwells Among Us. And here's what he writes on this topic. How then do we multiply? Uh, disciples multiply only as the word of God bears fruit in and through our lives. In Acts, the, the, the Genesis one twenty eight language of being fruitful and multiply marks the growth of the church. Acts and Colossians focus now on the spiritual children of Christ, the last Adam, who are multiplied. So here's a thought as you head back to, to work. Uh, you are never more human when you speak the gospel, when you participate in this great task of being fruitful and multiply. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a fresh grad trying to find out what sort of work you need to do. Uh, when you speak the gospel, 
when you're doing what you're made for. It doesn't matter if you're going through a midlife crisis, not sure where, what you should do with the next sort of 10, 15 years of your life. If you speak the gospel, you are doing what you're made for. Or if you're at the top of your game, uh, you have reached the heights of your career. Well, if you do speak the gospel, then because of that, you are doing what you're made for. Um, that's a thought for you to ponder as you head back to work. Um, but before we do that, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it gives us insight to our human experience. We do pray so much that we might take on some of the truths that saying and see that as we speak the gospel, that we are being taking part of this idea of being fruitful and multiplying your word to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.